Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. And so we've only really got a few chapters left, and so this is what we'll do because the chapters are longer. We'll focus on just a piece within each chapter through the end, chapter 28. And I want us to just keep the big picture in mind. Even as we look at this chapter today, let's keep the big picture in mind. Just by way of reminder, Luke Acts is one story. It was one scroll that they would read. And we know that the Gospel of Luke was about Jesus announcing the kingdom, demonstrating the kingdom through healing, through raising the dead, seeing lives transformed. And now the book of Acts is part two, isn't it? So you find his church empowered with the same Holy Spirit doing the same works of Jesus. We're also seeing, big picture in mind, that this is about the kingdom of God. God's kingdom, his rule, his reign, his presence, and the person of Jesus creates the church. And so this is God's kingdom mission for the church. We also saw in that opening chapter, Acts 1-8, that the gospel, Jesus said, would go from Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth, and we're watching that unfold in these chapters. Even today, we'll see that the Gospels reached somewhere as far as Tyre and Phoenicia. And really, what we're seeing in these chapters is that God shows us how to be the church in the world, doesn't he? So it's amazing, rich history and theology, and it's beautiful to see how the early church functioned and how they worked through hard stuff and suffering and arguments but it shows us, gives us a living example of what Jesus wants his church to look like. And that involves doing the things that Jesus did, doesn't it? To talk about the kingdom, to proclaim the kingdom, to demonstrate the kingdom, to make disciples, to make disciples who are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, as we see in Acts 2.42. We also see them planting lots of churches, don't we? And setting people free in the name of Jesus from sickness, from disease, from demons. And this is laying out for us what we want to do in the future, in the coming days. So today we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. And Lord, we just pray as we look into your word, we thank you for your presence here with us today. And we pray for your continued presence as we worship through looking at the word of God together. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at 1 through 16, and we're going to see Paul and his team sailing to Jerusalem, and we're going to see them encounter a group of prophetic Christians at a place called Caesarea, and then we're going to see Paul continuing on to Jerusalem. And that's really what these last chapters are about, him making his way to Jerusalem so he can be there at Pentecost. So he's timing his visit to these different places. And then eventually he's going to turn and go to Rome where he's going to die. And so we're going to see 
today. This is Paul's journey to Jerusalem, and I've subtitled it, The Lord's Will Be Done. And so Paul is going to hear warnings, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Rome. And Paul is going to say adamantly to his fellow Christians, the Lord's will be done. I'm willing not only to suffer, but to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. And what we're going to see here is there are incredible parallels. If Luke is part one and Acts is part two, what we're going to see in Paul's story here from here on out is it parallels what happened to Jesus when he went to Jerusalem. He was giving warnings. They were warning him, don't go. And he says, I've set my will. I'm going to go no matter what it costs. And I'm going to die there. We find Paul following the master in the same way. So let's look at uh, verses one through six. I'll read them and we'll look at this first section here. Acts 21, one to six. When we, and that's Paul and Luke and their, their team, when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. When we found a ship bound for Phoenicia, we went on board and set sail. We came in sight of Cyprus, and leaving it on our left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, because the ship was to unload its cargo there. We looked up the disciples and stayed there for seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we left and proceeded on our journey. And all of them, with wives and children, escorted us outside the city. There we knelt down on the beach and prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. This is the word of God. Thank you, Lord. So what we're seeing in this first section, and I know there's a lot of names here, but it's interesting. This is Paul and his team sailing to a place called Tyre, and then... There's a warning that's given to him. So let's look at it here. And he's picking up in verse one, picking up the story from the previous chapter. And when it says that when he parted from them, it's talking about his meeting with the elders from Ephesus and they met at a place called Miletus. And it literally means after parting, they were torn away from them. So it was very difficult for Paul and the others to leave these people that they loved from Ephesus. And this is another time that we see that we language here, right? Luke is, Dr. Luke is part of the team here and they're beginning their Jerusalem in a series of one day stops. Now, I don't know about you, but why all the details? Do you find yourself, my goodness, it's like name after name, place after place. Well, friends, they didn't have movies back in the day. All they had was the written word here. And so details mattered for them so that the people who were hearing this could picture exactly where they were going. If you want to put that slide up there, and again, it's not a geography lesson, but it can help us see. It's difficult. I've got to let my eyes settle there. But really, number four, the star, the blue star there, number four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, it's showing this journey all along the coast of Asia Minor, and so Luke is giving them this detail so they can picture Paul and his team literally moving along the coast, moving southwest and then southeast and making their way. 
And you know what else it does? It shows the truthfulness and the reliability of what Luke is writing. And so these details really do matter. And they're making their way in a series of one-day journeys, 40 miles here, 90 miles here, 60 miles here. And then they're going to get on board. And you can see there at point seven, they're going to make a 400-mile journey all the way over to Jerusalem. So the point of it is they were making these stops. And what's interesting is we find Paul connecting wherever he goes with the people. And so you find him looking up, look at verse four. We looked up the disciples. They tracked them down, they found them. And so we find time and time again that Paul and his team have deep fellowship with these people some of whom they've met, some they haven't met before. And so in the Holy Spirit, they were unified and they would go to these various cities and they would have brothers and sisters there and have deep fellowship and friendship because they were on mission together. Look at verse four. They looked up the disciples, the second part there, through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. What do you think that's getting at? through the Spirit, with the rest of Acts in mind, what do you think that is? It's a prophetic word. That's right. It's the Lord speaking through someone just like we do here, right? We believe that when we gather and we pray and we worship and we make ourselves available to the Lord's will and His ways that He speaks. And so this is a prophetic word. And we find that It's one of three references. We're only looking at 16 verses here, right? And there's three references to the Lord speaking. Three references to the gift of prophecy here in this passage. We're going to find at verse 9 that Philip the evangelist has four daughters, and it references that they prophesy. They have the gift of prophecy. We're going to look at that in a minute. And then we're going to find in verse 10... This guy, Agabus, who we encountered back in chapter 11, shows up again. He's a traveling prophet that comes out of Jerusalem. So three times, just in this little segment right here, we find the Lord speaking. I want us to just take a moment here, right? We're looking at this passage, but I want us to think about all the different times in the 20 preceding chapters that we've seen the Holy Spirit working like this. Can we do that for a moment? It's over 40 times that we see the Holy Spirit speaking and working like this. Remember back in chapter 1, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, speaks and gives instructions to his apostles. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, we talked about it a little bit this morning because our youth experienced a measure of it. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out on just certain Christians, just the mature Christians, right, who've walked with the Lord for a while. Is that true? The Holy Spirit's poured out on all the Christians that are gathered there, empowering them to speak in tongues like we were talking about, empowering them to prophesy, to declare the mighty deeds of God to other people. That's chapter two. Chapter four, the Holy Spirit comes on Peter and he speaks prophetically with great authority before the Sanhedrin, before those Jewish leaders. Chapter 4 again, the believers gather together, they pray, Lord, fill us with your spirit. 
They're worshiping, they're praying, and the Holy Spirit fills them to speak with prophetic power and to perform miracles. We're only four chapters in. Time and time again. Chapter 7, verse 55. The Holy Spirit fills Stephen while he's suffering and his body is being hit with stones and he's being martyred for Christ. He has a prophetic vision and sees Christ and declares what he's seeing to the people that are persecuting and killing him. You get in the picture? Chapter 13 of Acts. You've got the leaders gathered together from all over that part of the world. They're worshiping, they're fasting, they're praying, they're seeking the Lord. The Holy Spirit speaks through some of them and tells them it's time to send Paul and Barnabas on a mission. The Holy Spirit speaking. Chapter 15, the first church council. They gather together, they're dealing with some of the problems, the issues. The Holy Spirit speaks and they're able to say, we're in agreement with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of God was speaking and guiding them. Chapter 16, the Holy Spirit speaks to and guides Paul and his team to bring them to a, a specific region so they can make disciples there. And then today, we're seeing this. More references to the Lord speaking. Even in the last section, in chapter 20, we saw the Holy Spirit speaking and appointing the elders. Do we get the picture here? The Holy Spirit is present and permeates the entire life of the church. And the Holy Spirit speaks to them and through them. Sometimes it's the apostles. Sometimes it's other disciples. We're going to see in this text today, sometimes it's teenage girls who have the gift of prophecy. The point is, through the book of Acts, we're seeing that the Lord never stops speaking and guiding and directing his people, and they need it. So I want to ask, what happens? I mean, the, the American church, we just, do we not lean into and expect the voice of the Lord to speak to us and guide us? And we always measure it with scripture. It's always evaluated and tested, but we should expect when we meet in one another's homes, when we meet on Sunday, that the Lord speaks, right? We say around here, the Lord did not get laryngitis ever. He didn't lose his voice, he speaks and we've got our scriptures open and he speaks first and foremost through the scriptures, but then oftentimes he'll illuminate things out of that and give us wisdom and guidance. Amen, church? So we find the second part of verse four there. The disciples there, they're unnamed, but they're hearing the Lord's voice. The spirit of God is speaking through them to Paul and they're warning him. They're telling him not to go to Jerusalem. And there's something interesting here. I, I think as I just pondered this, they're warning him and they're saying, do not go. We're warning you not to go. And so I wonder what kind of practical gleaning of wisdom we can gain from this passage. We talk about it here regularly. When we give prophetic words to people, we want it to be positive, right? Now, there may be the rare exceptional moments from a more mature prophetic person where they're able to bring correction or something like that. But I even wonder, as we look at this, 
let's say that maybe you're sensing the Lord giving you a warning word for someone. I want us to think about that. How could you give a warning word to someone like these early disciples were in a positive way? Rather than, Liam, I'm sensing dire things ahead for you. Bro, brace yourself. Bad days ahead. Don't go. You might die. Is there a way, church, for us to maybe be hearing something, and there is warning and caution in it, but is there a way for us to do that with maturity and kindness so that Liam actually feels embraced or hugged by the Lord and not scared to death? We don't want to give words like that. I've received some before. So could it be if there's a warning for Liam and I'm sensing a tough man, there's a tough season ahead of him, is there a way for me to couch that and phrase it in a way that's positive? What do you think? What's a way to do it? Obviously not select choice A, right? That's out. But could I say, Liam, the Lord is so good and he is everything you're going to need. He has everything that you need for the coming days and you may encounter some tough times. Matter of fact, the scriptures teach it. And so if you're going through a difficult time, you continue to cling to Jesus. He's going to come. Something like that, you see? So you can give someone some encouragement without them feeling terrified. Amen? So I want us to sit with that and ponder even the practical nature of that. The other thing is these folks learned that every prophetic word is conditional. Even what they were saying to him was kind of a prediction. It was not a prevention. It was not them saying, you can't do this. There was a conditional nature to it. So I think there's all kinds of wisdom even tucked in this story here, and we want to get the message. So Paul ends up saying, he doesn't listen. I think he hears, but he has sensed from the Lord really from his conversion. Do you remember in Acts chapter 9 what Jesus said to him? He told him that he would take the gospel to the Gentiles, but he also said he would do something for his name's sake. Do you remember what it was? He would suffer for the name of Jesus. So Paul knows from day one that he is going to take the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, throughout the known world, but he is going to suffer at most turns. So he has in his mind, he hears them warning, and then he says, let's gather together. And I think this is a beautiful picture. Look at verses five and six. Their days are ending there. They've been waiting on the Lord and praying. Look at this. All of them, the men, the wives, the children, they all go with Paul and his team outside the city. And look at this. This is beautiful. This is public prayer and worship. They get down on their knees before King Jesus on the beach and they're praying and they say farewell to one another. And then we, Luke and Paul and the team, get on board the ship and the other people return home. The second thing, let's look at this. 
verses 7 through 14. And again, the whole passage at the heart of it is the Lord's will be done. The will of the Lord be done. That's what Paul is telling them. But in verses 7 through 14, we're going to see more of this prophetic activity. Again, it's right there. Let's read it. Verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais. And we greeted the believers and stayed with them for one day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, and he went into the house, and we went into the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. While we were staying there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us and took Paul's belt. Picture this. He bound his own feet and his hands with it. And he said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt, Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we remain silent except to say, the Lord's will be done. So in this section here, the travelogue continues. They end up in Caesarea. They come to the house of Philip. And it's, friends, this is the only place in the entire Bible that someone is called the evangelist. Isn't that interesting? So there's something special about Philip. He's a deacon. We encountered him in Acts 6. He's not an apostle. And he's known for his evangelistic activity. Do you remember in chapter 8, what did, what did Philip do? Can you remember way back then? I know some of you can. Someone's giving me hand gestures. Philip was, went alongside someone their chariot, and shared the gospel of Jesus with them from Isaiah 53, and then baptized him, the Ethiopian official, the Ethiopian eunuch. So this brother is on fire with the gospel. Everywhere he goes, he's sharing the gospel. He's evangelizing so much that he's remembered for all time in the history of the church as Philip the evangelist. Isn't that beautiful? And man, his house was an epicenter of the prophetic. The Lord's speaking. Just think he's living with these four young women who have the gift of prophecy. We don't know what they were prophesying. Perhaps they prophesied something to Paul and his team. We're not sure. But these four unmarried daughters, and the point of saying that is they're young. They're not even married yet. And they're moving in this gift of prophecy. You know what else it's showing here, friends? Luke is very thoughtful and careful. He's showing us that Acts chapter 2 is being fulfilled even in this very household, isn't he? What does Acts 2 say? Using the prophecy from Joel chapter 2, the Spirit of God's poured out on all flesh. What's it say? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And so Luke is signaling here, this is happening in Philip's house. You've got these four young women who are prophesying, who are hearing 
from the Holy Spirit and speaking it out. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Then we find Agabus, this prophet, and he is going to do something that was similar to the Old Testament prophets, isn't he? So he takes this belt, and it wasn't a leather belt. It was a long cloth belt. And so he's tying himself up, and he's delivering a prophetic word. Some of you have read the Old Testament in places where Jeremiah would engage in a prophetic action. You remember he would take like a clay jar, and he would smash it on the ground, and then he would deliver the word of the Lord. You had Isaiah. This is one I wouldn't advise. Isaiah took his clothes off and walked around in the nude, barefoot, and delivered the word of the Lord and basically said the Lord's going to strip everything from us and we're going to be exiles and we're going to be homeless and we're going to wander around. Don't advise that one. Smashing a pot is more permissible. But we find these Old Testament prophets doing something symbolic and then bringing the word of the Lord. That's what Agabus is doing here in that tradition. And do you find it fascinating what he says there in the middle of verse 11? Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit says. Some of the young adults, the interns, we were talking about prophecy in the New Testament versus prophecy in the Old Testament. It was thus says the Lord oftentimes in the Old Testament, and yet here we are in the New Testament era, and we're finding some similar language, but it's slightly different. And so I was looking in the scriptures, is there anywhere else where we find prophetic activity like this where someone would say, thus says the Lord, or thus says the Holy Spirit. Can you think of anywhere else in the New Testament? Some of you Baptist Bible bowl people are trying to work through your, your mind there. I was learning this week. It's really in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, you find... John reporting, and he would say, this is what the Lord Jesus says. The Alpha and the Omega says this. And so we find that in those letters to the different churches there, Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum. And then in chapter 2 and 3, it also says, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. And so it's interesting to see this. Now we talk about it here, doing it in a more casual way. So we're not giving back to Liam. I'm not going to say to him, thus says the Lord. Now, on a rare occasion, we might do that. Someone who's been doing prophecy for many years, but I haven't heard it around here. But Agabus was bringing the word of the Lord to Paul and warning him, acting it out, explaining how he was going to be bound and brought to the Jews, and to the Roman leaders. Look at what he says at verse 13, and we'll end here briefly. He says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? The language here literally means, you are breaking my heart like we pound laundry on the rocks. So in the ancient world, there's no washing machine, so they would take their laundry out and pound the laundry and stomp on it on the rocks and put 
soap in it. And Paul is saying, you are pounding my heart. Please do not do that. Don't break my heart. You know that I'm ready not only to be bound, as Agabus is saying here, but I'm ready to die in Jerusalem. So I was wondering this week, was Paul unwise to not heed this advice? And I don't think so. I think that we've seen that Paul knew he was going to suffer. He was willing to suffer and die. And so he and the church are saying the Lord's will be done. And even that, where do you find that prayer? On the lips of the master himself. Where did Christ pray that? In the garden, right? So he was struggling with the specter of the cross before him and even the God-man himself. Fully God, fully human, the Lord Jesus struggled. But in the end, he said, I'm willing to face the cross. If there's not another way, I will drink the cup and I will die. So Father, not my will, but your will be done. Why don't we stand? And friends, a text like this can throw off all kinds of wisdom and light, and we're seeing some of it, but I want to challenge us to, even this week, take up that prayer. The Lord's will be done. And something about nine months ago, I heard someone talking about this, this very prayer, and they challenged the people that were listening each day to get on their knees at the beginning of the day and to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. So I want to invite us as a church, even this week, at some point in your time of prayer, you can quickly do it. might even be the first thing that you do as you roll out of bed. If you're able to get on your knees, if you're not, you can just stand and say, Lord, and not my will, but your will be done. That seems to cover all the bases, doesn't it? The rest of this chapter we didn't look at, but it's Paul making that final journey to Jerusalem. And so next week we're going to be looking at chapter 22 where Paul, in fact, is arrested and he's taken before the Roman leaders and he gives, he shares his testimony, basically. He's going to be taken before numerous Roman leaders. He's going to share his story and he's eventually going to go to Rome and die. So Lord, we thank you for your word and I pray today that you would deposit something in us as a church that we would be the Lord's will be done, church. Write that in our hearts. Help us to live for your will, to be crucified with you, Jesus, that you might live through us. Thank you for the time together today, Jesus. Amen.